contemplative prayer. It sounds very productive. You think you're going to be doing cognition. That's the way, you know, when most people think they want to contemplate about something, they're thinking about it. There's cognition yeah. taking place, or thinking it through. And that's not really when you get down to it. That's not what you're doing with centering prayer or contemplative prayer. Uh, it's a form of meditation. And the goal isn't to fill your mind with the Word of God and to interact with God based on his word, it's to completely empty the mind. And, and the expectation is that you will hear God speak. Uh, you will see God in these moments of contemplation. Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript. Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI and across the Living Faith Fellowship. One of the greatest deficiencies in American Christianity is genuine prayerfulness, uh, a failure to acknowledge a genuine need to commune with God. It's clear in scripture that the discipline of prayer is critical to the spiritual health of a believer, but also to the mission of God and, and how he responds to us as we speak with him. In an effort to cultivate a, a culture of prayer in the church, many theologians have written extensively on the subject of calling on the Lord in prayer. Uh, they've advocated and promoted churches and people turning to the Lord in the work of prayer. And it's been a really big deal over the last few decades. We've seen a lot of authors and, and people speaking on this subject. With that said, there are many theologians who've also written and advocated for what is called contemplative prayer, a form of prayer that focuses on the emptying of the conscious mind and embracing the mystery of God. Today on the show, we're going to be asking what problems are there in this approach to prayer? Uh, does it honestly reflect the biblical teachings on the subject of prayer? And so with that, we've invited Pastor Sam Miles, president of the Living Faith Bible Institute, to discuss contemplative prayer. And so with that, Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's good, good to have be you, here. man. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot to say about this. And so mm -hmm. we're going to get right into it. I'm going to ask you right out the gate, what is contemplative prayer? We know that it's more than just contemplating in prayer, yeah. but uh, it's important for us to understand what we're going to be talking about. Yeah. So, you know, even in your intro, you've basically nutshelled it. You know, it sounds productive, contemplative prayer. It sounds very productive. You think you're going to be doing cognition. That's the way, you know, when most people think they want to contemplate about something, they're thinking about it. There's cognition yeah. taking place. They're setting their mind to it. Yeah. They're, they're working on it, mm -hmm. you know, uh, thinking it through. And that's not really when you get down to it, that's not what you're doing with centering prayer or contemplative prayer. Uh, it's a form of meditation that finds its roots in, in really a, a heathen, um, a, a tradition, mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. You think that you're going to be, you know, at least on the surface, most people hear about contemplative prayer. You're thinking that you're going to be engaging in some structure, some approach. Mm -hmm. um, you know, hopefully if you've got a biblical back background, you're thinking, uh, you're, you know, how do I take the word of God and, and, and contemplate those truths and, right. and then see them applied in my prayer life. Um, with contemplative prayer, the way it's being promoted, typically, stereotypically, it's that this is how you approach God. This is how you 
our, our best, this is your best shot or it's your best approach at being with God or hearing from God. And, and, and the goal isn't to fill your mind with the word of God and to interact with God based on his word. It's to completely empty the mind. Mm-hmm. And there's a, you, you do it with a sense of expectation. In other words, right. you're, you're emptying your mind so that you can be near God and hear God speak. Yeah, it's an experiential thing. It's a very experiential thing. And people thing. want to be enveloped yeah. with God's presence. Yes. Yeah. And so they want, and, they, and, and the expectation is that you will hear God speak. Uh, you will see God in these moments of contemplation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- this is not something that I've ever had any firsthand experience with. I only know what I've read, mm-hmm. you know, what I've heard, um, it, you know, and, and I only know what I, I, I understand from talking to people about it. Uh, so it's not that I've got firsthand experience right. with any of this, but what, you know, there's a couple of verses that people in this camp, you know, in terms of spiritual or biblical grounding, uh, you'll see it show up in the writings, mm-hmm. right? Uh, a favorite verse would be Psalms 46, verse 10 just the first half of the verse, you right. hear it quoted all the time, be still and know that I am God there. See, you just need to quiet your mind. You need to empty your mind. Just be still, no thinking, no nothing. Just know that he is God. And, and yeah. that's kind of a mantra for the approach. The problem is, is the context of that statement. You know, if you just kind of back out and look at what that text is actually saying, uh, Psalms 46 verse eight starts this way. Behold, come, behold the works of the Lord what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Mm. To be still means to stop. Yeah. Right. It means to, it, I mean, it means to cease and desist. You're doing something that needs to stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it, it's not, it's not just saying be quiet. It right. means cease and desist yeah. from your kingdom, build, kingdom building. God is ultimately the one who, who conquers the kingdom and uh, yeah, takes he's, the crown. he's asking his people to consider his ways yeah. and to fear him. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which is definitely an engagement of the mind versus a retreat <laughs> of the mind. Yeah. 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 It's, you know, again, God's breaks the bow. Mm-hmm. He busts spears. He yeah. is the victor. Right, right. <laughs> know that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Stop your, stop your striving and your warring. Um, submit to the king. Mm. Okay. So the other one is Habakkuk 2.20. Uh, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Uh, the Lord is in the holy temple. God is there. So what you want to do is be silent before him. Mm. And and, and they'll take that, and that then becomes another anchor passage, anchor verse. Again, if you back up and you look at the total passage, passage uh, Habakkuk 2, starting verse 18, what profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof hath, given, hath graven it, the molten image, and a teacher of lies, that the maker of his work trusteth therein to make dumb idols? Woe unto him that saith to the wood, awake. So I make an mm-hmm. idol. 
and then I invoke it. Yeah. You know, awake. Um, Woe unto him that saith to the wood, awake, to the dumb stone, that saith to the dumb stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now you see why God says to the world, shut up. Stop talking to idols. I am. Right. (laughs) I am here. And so it's interesting to me that we can take just a fragment of scripture and then use that to justify an entire approach that has no biblical grounding whatsoever. You won't go to the Bible and find a template for centering prayer, the way it's being communicated and taught today. Yeah. Yeah. And which is the story over and over again, right, Sam? I mean, proof texting for the sake of of propping yes. up your own presupposition yes. is a dangerous no, activity. Very, da- very dangerous. Yeah. yeah. So, so in centering prayer, in terms of what it is, you learn how to meditate mm-hmm. is what you're doing. And this would be the same thing that a yogi, a Hindu guru would coach his disciples to do. Mm-hmm. You want to empty your mind. And so you read any book on it, they'll coach you, start with one minute, set right. a timer, you know, and then once you've learned to, to be still, uh, unthinking for one minute, just listening with expectation. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you're going to work your way up. You know, you're going to you're going to do more reps. You're going to get up to where you know you can just get lost right. in meditation. That's the goal. Yeah, and they'll, and they'll say, you know, it's good. This is a habit you want to get into and work your way into twenty or thirty minutes daily. Yes, of- I noticed that several of these guys set the goal at ten minutes. Mm. It's almost like they know our society is ADHD. <laughs> they, keep, they keep lowering they the keep bar. Lowering the bar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and, and you know, one of the to the flip side uh, of that, I think it's interesting that one of the things that they they yeah. say is don't go as long as an hour, because yeah. there's a danger that you might actually lose yourself. Yes. It, there might be a psychological break yes. uh, associated yes. with this, which just again goes back to the idea that yeah. there is. There is something inherently dangerous about yes. this activity. I brought some notes on that. Okay. I definitely want to make sure we talk okay, about that. Okay, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah. one of the things I want to address, I think is really important, is the use of what we would refer to as mantra, mm-hmm. but they call sacred word, the use of sacred words, Christianizing of, mm-hmm. of something that we recognize as an Eastern practice, yeah. uh, the use of mantra. Yeah. You'd find that in Hinduism. Yeah. Um, but... But maybe explain to us the sacred word and how it's employed to get someone centered in this way. Basically, it's a way to focus yourself. It almost, it almost again, I've never done it. Mm-hmm. So I can't speak as an expert or an authority in terms of how it's done because I've literally never done it. Right. <laughs> um, but, but if I'm understanding this correctly, it's almost like you're using this as a means to focus your mind to be unfocused and yet at the same time intent in terms of expectation, Yeah. right? And so typically they will teach breathing techniques with this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like one thing that you'll see over and over again is as you breathe in, all you're saying is Lord Jesus. And then as you breathe out, have mercy on me, Lord Jesus. Have mm-hmm. mercy on me, and you're yeah. not you're not thinking about anything else. You're just saying those words as a prayer. Yeah, 
And that is supposed to now center you and make you now receptive. Right. And again, I, I'm not interested in trying it to no, see what happens. I, I don't know if you remember yeah. doing this as a kid, but do you remember when, you know, in the antenna days of television, how there were certain channels that were just just snow, just the just yeah. white, yeah. like, yeah. what do we call that? I forget what we call it. It was just like static. Yeah. yeah. And as a kid, sometimes you find yourself fixated on, on that channel. You'd turn it to that channel and you just oh, stare yeah. at it for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you zone out. You zone out. You yeah. absolutely zone yeah. out. And so yeah. it's, it's the, the, the use of a sacred word is intended to get you to a place where you're zoning out yeah. and you're, you're losing the yes. practice of cognition. It's, yeah. it's like drone music, like in new age music, yeah. which is yeah. new you're age just music. There. Right. Yeah. And we know there's a yeah. connection between new age practices and this practice. Yes. Right. Yes. And, yeah. and, so in new age music, it's just sound. It's just like, it's a, it's humming. It's a hum. It's a low hum. Oftentimes it's nature sounds that go on for 30 or 40 whale yep. sounds. And what they're intended to do is to lull you into a state where you're not engaged with your conscious mind. That's right. The idea is that it's going to help us find our true self to find rest in God. Um, which you know, I think, I think is the part that we really need to address. To find a connection with to God, find a to connection. hear from God, to see him. Yeah. yeah. To be enveloped by him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know- So I'm gonna turn my brain off and that's my best approach at having a legit experience with God. It's very dangerous. And it's not what he advocates for in scripture, <laughs> yeah. which we'll, we'll yeah. address. So yeah. there's a history to this. And I think it's worth us addressing the history before we, we really tackle some of the propositions that, that contemplative prayer uh, proponents are sharing and, and expressing. But, but, you know, Tyler Stanton is a, a pastor and author uh, of a really popular book right now called uh, Praying Like Monks, uh, Living Like Fools. In fact, um, we, ha we have the book sitting around here somewhere. It's this book. Uh, we, we're not promoting it, but, but we are suggesting that this guy's a very influential right now in, in this movement. Um, Staten, as, as well as other proponents, believe that the roots of contemplative prayer uh, be, began in the isolation of the desert fathers and mothers, uh, a, a group of people in the early church yeah. who basically secluded themselves for the, for the sake of spiritual pursuit. Um, this is a time frame where there wasn't a completed and accessible word of God. Yeah. Right. So the average person, even in a monastic order, didn't have access to a printed Bible. Mm -hmm. And yet these people hid themselves away in the desert, believing that that's how they would get closer to God. And so can you walk and now us today, through? today we're going yeah. to assume that they actually had insight. Mm -hmm. They actually had the hookup that's desperately needed to be re-employed right. re today. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Talk, us, talk to us about what, who are the desert fathers and mothers. When we say that phrase, that's probably a new, a lot of people haven't heard that title. Yeah. A lot of our listeners have never heard that before. And what were they doing? And what was that whole kind of hermetic monastic order about? It, was a, it became a huge tradition over time in the Catholic church. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, you know, who were they? I don't read them. I never met any of them. I don't know them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, uh, obviously, we know that they they were, and we've got some of their writings. My assumption is this is just based on 
knowing how things work. Okay, my assumption is, is it didn't start with them. These early desert fathers and mothers, I bet you they learned that somewhere, mm-hmm. right? Because what, what keeps happening in terms of religion, the heathen gets, Im- the, the heathen practices, the heathen ideas, um, these get imported, they get spiritualized, they get Christianized. Uh, mm-hmm. We've, again, we've mined the Bible for texts to support them. Um, and so they, they probably, this is, I, I would wager this has been around since Genesis chapter six. Right. You yeah. Know? Yeah. That would be my, that would be my guess if I had to guess, but y- y- you see it throughout, uh, church history. You know, you, you've got people who say, I'm going to, I'm going to take an ascetic lifestyle that's going to build, right. It's going to require, it's going to build my self-discipline. And in this process of self-denial, uh, you know, maybe I can get close to God. And mm-hmm. that leads to some crazy pursuits, right? You've got, I mean, there's everybody understands fasting from scripture, but you've got vows of celibacy, again, to get close to God. Mm-hmm. I'm never getting married. Yeah. Vows of poverty. Somehow this is going to make me, you know, if, I, if I'm eating bugs... <laughs> This is going to help me draw close to God. Mm-hmm. Sleep deprivation, the wearing of uncomfortable clothing, right? Uh, even self abuse, right? right? Flagellation, yeah. self mutilation. I mean, these things happen, and it's all to get close to God. They cut themselves off from the rest of society in order to dedicate themselves to pursuing a closer relationship with God. And in all of it, it's if I abuse myself or if I afflict myself or if I deny myself enough, maybe I get this big God's attention on some level mm-hmm. and he will bless me with some kind of connection. He'll yeah. bless me with some kind of, some kind of insight, you right. know, some kind of higher level of living, you know, spiritual, a, a higher spiritual plane of living. And so you've got, you know, early church fathers like, you know, Augustine, who absolutely promoted contemplative prayer, wrote the rule set, you know, for, for, for monks, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, wait, before he became, before he converted to Christianity, uh, he spent several years uh, as a, as a manichee, you know, he, he was in a heathen cult. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they, they practice poverty, they practice celibacy, um, you know, and again, this wasn't uncommon. No, you know, these yeah. guys, there's a lot of groups were doing this. Right. And so like so many other pagan practices that gets imported into what, you know, we call today Christianity. You don't find these practices sourced in scripture. You're not going to find instruction in the word of God in how to empty your mind. Mm-mm come to a place of emptiness yet expectancy and then make some higher level connection with the Lord. That's not in scripture. Um, But then it continues a book that a lot of people today refer to. There was some anonymous 14th century uh, Christian mystic that wrote the cloud of unknowing. And in the cloud of unknowing, it talks about the practice of blotting out your conscious thoughts in an attempt to just enter into a a mindless meditation so that you have a shot at transcendental communication with God. How do you do that? By blotting out, you have to blot out conscious thought. You have to enter into that 
zoned out thing when you're looking mm-hmm. at the static on the TV. You got to enter into that that state, and then that would enable you to connect with God. You'd actually be able to hear from God. The goal that's described in the in the cloud of unknowing is is it's the goal of being knit to God. Mm-hmm. So in chapter seven of the cloud of unknowing, uh, it instructs a contemplative practitioner to choose a one syllable word and then just repeat it. Lord, Lord, Lord. And mm-hmm. you're using that to beat, beat out the thoughts that are in your mind. You want to, you want to beat down the way it puts it is you beat down every thought under the cloud of forgetting. Mm. <laughs> like, um, how am I transformed? It's by the renewing of my mind. You know, mm-hmm. how do I do that? I have the mind of Christ. Where do I get that? That's the word of God. Okay, so yeah. then in chapter eight, this mystic says, I urge you to dismiss every clever or subtle thought, no matter how holy, no matter how valuable, cover it with a thick cloud of forgetting because in this life, only love only love can touch God as he is in himself, never knowledge. Mm. So that's how people are being coached. And this is, this is a modern day heresy that's being resurrected and promoted uh, to, to, to believers who sincerely want to connect to the Lord. And that's the other thing. You know, a lot of people who pra- practice this, uh, they're, not bad. they're not bad people. They're not, rebel- you know, they're not rebellious. They're not rebels at heart. Uh, they're sincerely trying to connect with the Lord right. in a way that the Scripture does not command. Yeah, you know that does not the, the Bible doesn't instruct us to right. do this. I think it's really interesting that in Buddhist culture and and uh, you know religious practice that for centuries and centuries there's been kind of a war against knowledge. So whenever Buddhists would would rise up and, and, and build libraries with, um, you know, there would be, there'd be extremists within the camp of Buddhism. There's like, well, let's learn things. The, these libraries would get burnt. There would be rebellion. And because the objective of Buddhism is to empty your mind. And the more empty that you become, the more prepared you are for nirvana. Yeah. Yeah. Right, the experiencing yeah. the experience yeah. of nothingness. That's how you connect. You can yeah. you connect yeah. to yeah. to the universe yeah. through becoming more empty and void, and then and so now what we're doing, yeah, it's a da- it's a dangerous thing. Yeah. We would you know Christians you can connect with something. You you can yeah. you can and yeah. you can get lost in in yes. that in that something yeah. in that abyss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's important for Christians to understand. You know, we wouldn't advocate a believer, a Christian wouldn't advocate for Buddhism. I mean, um, unless they're a universalist, I suppose uh, they might. They and might. They would say that's a, yeah, it's, that it's valid. That's legit. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's a lot of universalists who are interested in contemplative prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that doctrine and that way of thinking lends itself towards some of these practices. But my my point is is that Christians have adopted this, and um, and I, I, I think a lot of people don't even know the roots of this this way of thinking yeah. and, and how misaligned it is. So, you know, men, men like uh, Tyler Stat- Statton, who we talked about earlier, A.J. Sherrill, who's also uh, big in this world. He's written uh, several books on this topic. Richard Rohr, for decades, has been speaking about and talking about these things. Mm-hmm. Thomas Merton uh, is, you know, the 20th century 
like revolutionary in the area of contemplative prayer. He was a he was a, a monk in Nashville, I believe, or in the Tennessee area. They've talked about contemplative prayer quite a bit, and it's become much more popular in recent years. So why do you think there's a re-emphasis on the monastic traditions within the church? Yeah, people want to have a connection with God. You know, you were talking about the burning of libraries and the mm-hmm. Buddhist history, you know, the Buddhist tradition. They, you know, there's a lot of, it, again, for them to reach that state of nirvana, that's an ultimate state of being. God's people today, I think the church of the last days longs for something that's real. And they think something is only real if I can personally firsthand experience it, if I can feel it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, In other words, I want to be able to have, I want to be able to feel it in my flesh. I want Mm -hmm. the hair to stand up on the back of my neck. I want my skin to prickle, you know? I want to know that I've made contact with something beyond beyond me. And the problem is in in seeking after that experience, they're they're not taking a faith-based approach to get it. So they want a thrilling experience versus taking God at his word. What's the driver behind burning libraries? Oh yeah, there's a spiritual component to that. My people perish for lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm. So if we can keep people clueless about God's will, what God's word says over their life, well then we can keep them in error. Mm -hmm. And so these, you know, this is one of the things that Peter and Jude warn about in their epistles, these false teachers that come up and get the focus on the flesh, your, your life, your experience in the flesh, and they end up corrupting the gospel of grace, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's, I think at its core, you've got well-intentioned people who want people to connect with God. Um, they know what the Bible says, but then they found this other thing that's helpful to achieve a state of nirvana, mm-hmm. you know, and that this is something that you want. I think it's, I think it happens because behind it all, there's a demonic deception with the goal of cutting off actual real connection with God via his word and prayer. Mm. You know, um, knowing his word and responding through how we live it out in our lives and how we talk to the Lord over it. You know, Mm. biblical prayer. We substitute for that these experiences. And again, that's the error that keeps coming up. You know, yes, the Bible is truth. Yes, the Bible is good. You know, um, Tyler Stanton quotes the Bible extensively, and, he, and he'll even cover biblical pr- practices of prayer. Mm. So all of that's good, but here's this other thing that you also need right. <laughs> that we really can't actually make a case for scripturally, right. but it's really going to help you connect yeah, with God. Yeah, I think God. he describes it as another tool in, in his it's, prayer yes, toolbox. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, this, take this truth. You won't find this truth outlined in the Word of God, but in, in other words, the Bible is not enough. Right. And that's the problem, you know, is is when you lose the place of the word of God being sufficient, it's enough. Mm-hmm. It's everything that we need. It's what God gave us in order to have a right relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? so, so Richard Rohr, he's the author of the um, Everything Belongs and, and founder of the Center of Action and Contemplation says that when Jesus went out to the desert to pray for 40 days and 40 nights... Uh, he was engaging in contemplative prayer. This is a, this is an argument yeah. he makes. Yeah. And, and, and to quote him exactly uh, from one of his interviews, he says, 
This is where you rewire your mind so that everything you do is connected in, in loving union with the moment, uh, with whatever is right in front of you. And then he uses this illustration of if it's a leaf, engage with that leaf. You're the only person who's ever contemplated that leaf. Yeah. Um, and so you need to be one yeah. with that moment mm-hmm. and stand in awe of the, of the bigness and the wonder of God, how small you are. Now, what he's doing is he is promoting kind of a he's promoting mysticism in the church. He's, he's, yeah, yeah. he's oh, advocating yeah. for a yeah. mystical view of God yeah. that negates the truth. He'd rather read the veins in, in a leaf and than he'd read the through words. that, you're going to connect with the unknown. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Wh- yeah. why is mysticism so dangerous in the church? And, and I think, you know, we don't talk on the show a whole lot. We don't use the word mystic a lot, but, mm-hmm. but that's the tradition that we've been talking about. The, 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 religious mystic, the oracle, the, the, the guru that lives in a cave that has the hidden truths, the mysteries, you know, it's back to uh, Adam and Eve in the garden and the hidden truths and, and seeking a mystical experience with God and the, and the Genesis chapter six experience or, or the Babylonian, the Tower of Babel experience. These are, these are all people looking for mysterious or hidden truths Mm-hmm. that aren't plain, plainly spoken by mm-hmm. the prophets. And so, so tell us a little bit about mysticism and why it's ultimately dangerous to the church if we take a mystic approach to our Christian faith. Yeah, so that's a lot from Richard Rohr and the example that he uses mm-hmm. uh, to promote mysticism, Christ, you know, basically saying that what Jesus was doing for 40 days in the wilderness is he's practicing contemplative prayer. He mm-hmm. was doing meditation yeah. for 40 days. Well, how did that work out for him then? I mean, the devil showed up. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is actually what can happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so there's that, you know. Or, or on the flip side of that, he was engaging with God the Father in very meaningful dialogue and Satan hated that and showed up. Absolutely. Well, that's actually what happened because <laughs> yeah. if you actually read the account, mm-hmm. if Richard Rohr would have just read what the text is saying, Satan does show up and in three areas tempts the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus responds three times with, it is written. Obviously, he was reading, just run your cross-references. He was reading, he was he was in Deuteronomy. Right. He was he was in that big picture book mm-hmm. <laughs> that closes out the Pentateuch, you know, just pondering the scope of his people, right? Mm-hmm. The the arc of that kingdom, and um, and so he is he is quoting Deuteronomy to to Satan every time, mm-hmm. you know. So for forty days, what was he doing? Um, he was he was actually contemplating. Cog- he had he w- there was cognition, right. right? He was filling his mind with the word of God. Not spending forty time, forty days, meditated, Staring you know, meditating rock. in the voided mind. But yeah. then that's the danger, right? I mean, let's say Roar is right, which he's not. Um, what a textbook illustration then of what not to do. You empty your mind for forty minutes, and the devil shows up. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, so the mystical part of it is is you're going to connect with the unknown, and you will be coached. Uh, by these teachers, right? You will be coached to expect to hear from God, to expect that they'll have you visualize Jesus. Mm-hmm. What's he doing? You know, is, is he holding anything in his hands? Is he saying anything? And so you're focused on seeing Jesus 
and you're paying attention to what he does. And yeah, you know, you can make up, you can, through your imagination, you right. can make up a, a scenario right. uh, that, that will play out in your mind. But at the same time, uh, sometimes that vision, that image, that voice, it actually speaks. Sometimes people connect. Mm-hmm. So that's the big question is how can you be sure that what you're like, how do you, how do you know that you're seeing what you think you're seeing? I mean, how can you be sure that you're hearing what you actually think you're hearing? I see Jesus. I'm hearing from Jesus. Are you sure? Yeah. How do you know? You have no way of knowing that you can't verify that the devil in second Corinthians chapter 11, the de- devils can appear as angels of light mm-hmm. and give you a thrilling experience. You know, mm-hmm. how do you know that you're, you're not connecting with the devil instead of Jesus? The cloud of unknowing uh, says, have no fear of the evil one. He will not dare come near you. <laughs> so you're going to do this. Don't worry about getting invaded. Uh, so Satan would never dare interrupting your state of nirvana with Jesus. Wow. Which is such <laughs> I mean, an arrogant really, claim. It's so, yeah. Ephesians 4.27, neither give place to the devil. Again, I think we've talked about that before on this mm-hmm. podcast. That verse, that admonition is given to the church. Yeah. Why? Because you can. Yeah. You can make space for yeah. the devil to operate in your life. Don't do that. Right. And, and also, I think it makes me think of Job, who was righteous in his days, who's found praying for his family in Job chapter 1, and then the devil shows up. And the devil shows up. Right? Yeah. And so I think, it's, I think it's really arrogant to say, well, because you're a believer and you're engaging this way, the devil dare not interrupt you. So they're not thinking it through. Right. Right? I mean, they, don't, they, they literally have not critically thought it through. They say, just try it. You'll see. Just watch what happens. You'll see. It's a wonderful experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it isn't the devil that shows up. You'll see it's Jesus that shows up. The devil wouldn't dare show up when you're mm-hmm. communing with God. Okay, really? Zechariah 3. He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And so here's the high priest connecting with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, the Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? I mean, here's a guy who's actually connecting with Jesus and Satan shows up. So you're going to tell me now I'm going to meditate and Satan can't show up. Right. I can't be deceived. I can't, I can't be resisted mm-hmm. in my pursuit of a relationship with God through error. Uh, they haven't thought it through. The only safety is, is when we take our experiences and we evaluate them through what the word of God says. Right. The goal of the believer is to know the word of God and to live it out in our life, not to find new experiences that somehow now give to find nirvana mm-hmm. <laughs> that now gives significance or meaning to my spiritual life. That's not a biblical objective. You know, if you want an experience versus the word of God being reality in your life, if you're looking for an experience, you'll get it. Yeah. For sure. You'll get it. And that's the danger. Uh, Richard Foster, he's another proponent. You know, again, he'll say a lot of biblical things, but then he's all about this Catholic desert father, you know, Eastern mysticism. Mm -hmm. And he admits there's a possibility of meeting evil in contemplative prayer. 
I mean, he admits that. And so his solution to that is, well, just ask God to protect you and tell any evil spirits to leave. That's the spiritual equivalent of walking down the alley that has the highest crime rate in our city and saying, Lord Jesus, protect me. Why are you going down that, right. that alley, bro? Yeah, like, that's why really are you good. doing that? You're inviting trouble. Mm-hmm. Oh, but God's going to protect me. Uh, yeah, God made sure that you got the news that it's the most dangerous alley in our city. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Find another route, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Uh, and, it, and it's all the same. You know, they're, they're, they're functioning as modern Hindi gurus, you know, modern yogis. Uh, and again, that's the same approach that they all use is visualize Jesus in these times of meditation. And, and, and if you don't connect, don't worry about it. You still benefited from the practice. It's, it's centered you. Mm-hmm. You know, those, that, that, that practice of meditation is actually, you know, A.J. Sherrill in his book, you know, talks about how it's healthy for your brain. <laughs> like, how, how do you know? You know, I mean, like, how, how do you really know? What happens, though, very often is people do make contact. They do make connection. Uh, Morton Kelsey is another one. He wrote a book called The Other Side of Silence. Uh, the Other Side of Silence is basically a mashup between um, Christian mysticism and Jungian psychology. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he taught the use of visualization and meditation and told his readers not to fear when the visualizations take on a life of their own. And so he (laughs) quotes Carl Jung. Carl Jung, like he admits he he had a familiar spirit. He communicated with a spirit guide. I mean, this dude had a devil for most of his life. And wrote a lot of the accepted psychological research that we yeah, yeah, yeah. have adopted yeah, today, yeah, which is interesting. Yeah. So doctrines of demons takes yeah. on a whole new... <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> There's a whole new tangent to consider. Yeah. Um, so here's what Kelsey says. In the same way, when you concentrate on a mental picture, it begins to stir. The image becomes enriched by details. It moves and develops. Each time, naturally, you mistrust it and have the idea that you've just made it up, that it is merely your own invention. That's what, that Kelsey is quoting Young when he says that. And so then Kelsey, his response is, it's, not usu- it's usually not too difficult for most people to start the process by concentrating on something graphic. The hard, co- the hard part comes in realizing realizing that something could move unexpectedly inside us without our conscious direction. That is why it's so vital in developing imagination, meditation, or contemplation to realize that our ego is not the only force operating within us. Okay, that's what he says on the other side of silence. He doesn't believe the Bible. He's not taking a biblical approach. Mm-hmm. And he's coaching people. It's okay to make contact with the other side. There's other forces operating in your life. You want to connect with them. No warning to his reader of the dangers, the very real dangers mm-hmm. of, of making space for a devil to operate in your life. Uh, and then you've got examples of it. The one that I think this is what probably sparked the maybe your motivation to have this is me telling yeah. about Sumunk Kid. Mm. Sumon Kid starts out Southern Baptist, gets exposed to Roman Catholic mysticism. She starts listening to guys like Thomas Merton. She begins to pursue contemplative mysticism. And eventually she comes to the Jungian perspective. She's right mm-hmm. there with Carl Jung and begins to pursue 
right? Her dreams as contact. God's communicating to her through yeah. her dreams. Uh, and then several of her dreams were about an old woman. And so that's the mother God mm. that she's connecting to. She comes out ultimately and denies that the word of God is the only authority for a right relationship with God. As a matter of fact, you know, the conclusion that she comes to, she hears this voice from her navel, okay? So she, she starts out hearing, like, she's meditating. She makes connection with God. I'm using my air quotes if you're listening. Mm -hmm. Okay, she makes connection with God. And then she finds out that he's in and he's one with everything. And, oh, he's a she. Yeah. That's what the voices are telling her. That's what she's knowing through her meditation. And she ends up worshiping the Black Madonna. So how do you go from worshiping Jesus to the, oh yeah, empty your mind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you can end up in that much error. Yeah. She says in her book, The Dance of the Dissident Daughter, I remember a feeling rising up from a place about two inches below my navel. It was the purest inner knowing I'd experienced. And it was shouting in me, no, no, no. The ultimate authority of my life is not the Bible. It's not confined between the covers of a book. It's not something written by men and frozen in time. It's not from a source outside myself. My ultimate authority is the divine voice in my own soul, period. That day sitting in church, I believe the voice in my belly, the voice in my belly was the voice of a wise old woman. It was my female soul talking. And it challenged the assumption that the Baptist church would get me where I needed to go. Hmm. That's what happens when so you listen to demons. So there's something to the belly God thing, isn't there? <laughs> there's something to the belly God thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So to come full circle in terms of your question, you know, the goal uh, is that through piety, through asceticism, you're going to encounter in the soul this religious experience. So you believe that to, to connect with God is to have this, I mean, let's just call it what it is, to reach this state of nirvana, mm -hmm. right? The goal is to be one with God without any biblical reference or mooring. You don't need that, okay? It's you're going to connect through this emptying of yourself, this sense of expectation. You're going you're gonna to make, make contact. God never instructs us to empty or disengage our minds. Right, which leads us to, I think, this really important passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, verse 15, it says, what is then, uh, what is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. Uh, I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. And so God is advocating for understanding in our prayer and in our worship. I think, uh, you know, just to make a, just, go off to the side for a second. I think yeah. a lot of times Baptists are guilty of entering into a seasons of praise, looking for an experience. Sure. Where we, yeah. we, we engage with the music with the intention of making, of gaining, us, feel good. making us feel good yeah. or, or having some sort of moment with God. Mm -hmm. And we're no longer engaging with the content. We're no longer contemplating the words and the value that they are into our life yeah. and what they mean for us and that they might sharpen us or challenge us. Or That's how Bethel us. Music's getting away with what they're getting away with. Yeah, and, yeah. and so, yeah. so you yeah. know, we might, anecdotally speaking, mm -hmm. take the same approach, even just in the way that we, we engage in praise and worship before God. Mm -hmm. we, we need to talk about what 
biblical prayer really is. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, I want to just say what ultimately, in what ways is biblical meditation different from monastic contemplation? Because yeah. the Bible does tell us that we should meditate. So what does that look like? Yeah. So even like with your verse in 1 yeah. Corinthians 14, I'm going to pray with the spirit. I'm going to pray with my understanding. I'm going to sing with the spirit. I'm going to sing with my understanding. In our discipleship, um, when we're introducing new believers to a right relationship with God through his word, one of the points that we'll make in our lesson on the Holy Spirit, you know, what, how do you have a walk in the spirit? And we'll compare Ephesians 5 with Colossians chapter 3. Mm-hmm. And so if you're, you know, the command is be filled with the spirit. And then what comes out of you? The word of God. Right. You know, what comes out of you? You're speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart. When he says the exact same thing to the church of Col- uh, in Colossae. What does he say? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Right. And then the same thing comes out. How do I walk in this? Oh, yeah. As I walk in the word, yeah. that's how I walk in the yeah, spirit. Yeah, create the two passages, create a synonym yeah. for so us. So biblically, you know, how do you meditate? Joshua 1.6. Jesus tells Joshua how to do it. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand, to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. And then he gives the key, verse eight. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein. Mm-hmm. Meditate how? Empty. No, meditate in the word of God, thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do all, to do according to all that is written therein, therein the word of God. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. You can deal with all this adversity that's going to be in front of you. And then thou shalt have good success. You know, God gives us his word, gives us his words like second Timothy three 16. Um, to instruct us, mm-hmm. right? To inform us. Why? That the man of God may be mature, fulfilled, perfect, right? That the right. man of God may be complete, truly furnished. Mm-hmm. There's no, nothing's, nothing should be missing from any area of your life if the word of God is what you're centering on, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Truly furnished unto all good works. Uh, we got to meditate in the book. Yeah. And there's no deficiency in the word. We don't have to go outside the no, word. No, it is and, sufficient. And this is the great yeah. practice of, of Christians today is that they believe that the Bible is not exactly enough. Like a lot it's of good. Christians would say, it's good. Oh, it's good. It's really yeah, good. It's yeah, our, you it's need tr- it. You it's have truth. to have it. It's yeah. truth. Yeah. It's just not the only truth. And but, so yeah. they begin to use that as a gateway to... Yeah to yeah. deception that their that their frame is research or statistically yeah. accurate or yeah. you know, whatever they yeah. want to do they yeah. justify seeking yeah. here's the pseudoscience it's right. really going to help you yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 just rub an essential oil on it and you'll, yeah you know, yeah. that's the real answer and that's the answer yeah. <laughs> or whatever it might be you know fill fill yeah. the blank yeah it's not like that there aren't truths that are good and valuable and help yeah. us live and, yeah. but when they when that becomes superior or, or priority supplants or supplants the, the, yes. the word of god we are in yeah. big trouble big so trouble. which yeah. is why we need a biblical view of prayer yes and so could yeah. you please give us uh, just very briefly i mean we have a whole course in our bible institute devoted to prayer and worship mm-hmm. so we can't cover it in 10 minutes but can you just give us 
some very important points to what it means to be uh, a believer who prays scripturally. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. We're going to pause right here for just a second so we can hear from one of our students from the Living Faith Bible Institute. My name is Blade Spiza. I'm from Living Faith Lee Summit in the Kansas City, Missouri area. And I just want to share a little bit about LFBI. It feels like commercial, and I don't want it to be that. I actually want to speak to you just as an individual who loves God and wants to serve God and give your life to Him. LFBI, though it may seem academic, is actually an opportunity for you to have an intimate walk with the Lord. And, you know, you go through discipleship, you get involved in ministry, and, and as you continue to grow, God gives you stuff, and you begin investing in people. And a lot of times, uh, as you begin investing in people, you, you fail to get fed yourself. And so I know for me, as a growing leader in ministry, I've, I've found seasons in my life that are really dry, and LFBI has been amazing for me just to be reminded of, about how awesome the Word of God is and how faithful God has been and, and how perfect God's Word is for me. And uh, I would just encourage you this semester to, to take on a little bit more. Maybe you're thinking, I don't, I don't have time. <laughs> I, I'm so busy. You know, I, I feel like I'm just doing too much. I want to encourage you that LFBI doesn't have to be academic. You can actually approach God's Word devotionally in that time and trust Him to speak to you in the quietness of a classroom setting. If you're on the fence about LFBI, I just want to encourage you to get started uh, by signing up for a class. If you've never done it, I encourage you to, to hop in maybe to a Bible survey class or foundations. Um, if, if you've been doing LFBI for a little while and you understand the workload, take on a little bit more. Step out in faith. To enroll for classes, visit lfbi.org. To support LFBI, please visit lfbi.org support. You know, the first time pray shows up in our King James Bible. Uh, it's in Genesis 12, 13. Say, I pray thee, that thou art my sister. So Abraham's talking to Sarah. Mm -hmm. Say, I pray thee, that you're my sister. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. So the word, I pray thee, means please now. Yeah. Right. It's a request. It's, it's a making pleading. a request. He's pleading. He's pleading. Yeah. He's, he's requesting of her that she would lie. Yeah. Right. <laughs> sort of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then whenever you see the first time you see prayer in action, it's God talking to King Abimelech because he took Sarah over mm. the first prayer. So Abe prays to Sarah. Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> pray to the wrong person. Right. Right. <laughs> so she does. She tells this half lie. And look at the mess they're in. Abimelech takes her. Mm. And so now we get prayer right. Um, so when you see prayer in action for the first time, that's Genesis 20, verse 6. God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thine heart. You thought she was an option for you. For I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee. Okay, so he's going to request God on Abimelech's behalf, mm -hmm. and thou shalt live. And if thou restore not, know that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. So what, what's happening now is Abraham is now interceding on Abimelech's behalf. Mm -hmm. Okay, so a prayer is a request to God. It's also intercession on behalf of a situation or a need, um, the, the lives of others. Um, it, it just means to ask. Yeah. Right. 
And Paul, the Apostle Paul, uses it the same way, Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about things. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Mm -hmm. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus warns us away from mantras. <laughs> you mm, know? Yeah. In Matthew chapter 6, he talks about vain repetitions. That's what the heathen do. For they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Now again, mm -hmm. he's coach. I mean, he's going to teach them how to pray, and he's going to take them through a list of things they're going to ask for. But God knows it. You just want to acknowledge it to that you know it too, and you need it. Right? <laughs> you know, be be polite. Ask. You know. Mm -hmm. So biblical prayer, you see examples of it all over the Bible. You know, Psalm one nineteen. How's David pray? I know, Lord, that thy judgments are right. And that thou in faithfulness hath afflicted me, let, I pray thee, thy merciful kindness be for my comfort according to thy word unto thy servant. Mm -hmm. So that's it. Okay. The problem with framing prayer as a journey toward an experience versus friendship with God. You know, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Right. How do I be the friend of God? How I take God at his word. That's how I do it. Yeah. Okay. The problem with framing prayer as a journey outside of a biblical framework um, versus friendship with God is that you're setting yourself up now for extra biblical, extra biblical encounters, mm -hmm. extra biblical living, an extra biblical approach to God. And God, where is God? God's, God's in his word. Yeah. He's not in the fire, the earthquake, the rending of the mountains, right? He's not in any of that. It's what he said, the still small voice. Mm -hmm. What does the word of God say? Yeah. And I think, I think, man, what you're saying too, just he's an ever present help. It means that you don't have to go on a journey to find him. He's accessible. He's within reach. His grace is yeah. always within reach. His, yeah. his ear yeah. is always within yeah. shouting distance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so to believe that you have to enter into a journey to find him, whether that takes 10 minutes or an hour or years, mm -hmm. um, is, a, is a lie that says that he's distant and unknowable. Yeah. And that is a, that's not true. He's a very knowable God. He gives yeah. us all of his character. He tells us exactly who yeah. he is and what he thinks. Uh, his person, yeah. We know his personality. He's right there. He's mm -hmm. listening. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And it's wonderful. Yeah. It's wonderful. Is there value in, in stillness in prayer then? Yeah. If you came up to me, wanted to have a conversation with me, you wanted to connect, you wanted to connect with me. Mm -hmm. Okay, you have a question, you have a need, you, you want my help with something, whatever it is. And your approach to me is you come up to me and you're like, Sam, 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 Sam. You probably slap me for ten minutes. Okay. Well, right. I'd be thinking about it. Yeah, I'm not a striker. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Can't that's disqualify point. myself because you're acting crazy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But, <laughs> but uh, well, your kids do this to you when they're little. It's annoying. That's it, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I'm yeah. at that stage yeah. in my parenting mom, right now. Mom, mom, yes. mom, 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 mom. But dad, but dad, but dad, yeah. but dad, but yeah. dad. Yeah. They Stop. Just, right. Be still. Okay. Think. Order your argument, order mm -hmm. your request, 
right? Or order your thankfulness. Order your thankfulness, whatever right. it is. Yeah. Yeah. Don't just barf words at God. Right. Stop and think. Again, it's, you're not emptying your mind. You're organizing your mind. Mm-hmm. Order your argument according to his promises and then speak. And he loves it. He loves it. Yeah. 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 You have what you ask. Yeah. Sam, thank you. There's so much to talk about with prayer and just this mm-hmm. topic, but yeah. you did a great job of, of just showing us why there are, there are dangers associated with this approach. Again, these aren't necessarily wicked people that no, are engaging no, in this activity. but Genuinely good people right. you know, who want to be closer to the Lord. Yeah, so know. we need to teach them the Bible. Yeah. yeah, let's point out what the book says. Yeah. It's so enough. Thank, yeah. thank you for hanging out and talking yeah. about this. Thanks for letting me. Yeah, and we want to thank you too for hanging out with us. And we want the opportunity to teach you the Bible. Uh, Maybe you are a part of a local church somewhere and uh, you know that you need to be trained in in a better understanding of what God's word says, even if it's just so that it informs the way you pray, right? Even if it's just for that purpose, but but so much more, how you do ministry, how you engage with people and disciple others or or lead them in the work of the mission, uh, how you approach uh, the authorities in your church or or uh, strive in, you know, foreign missions or whatever, whatever it is that God's called us to do. It needs to be informed by what the word of God says. And so we have to learn it. We have to learn how to divide it and understand it. So we want to invite you to be a part of the Living Faith Bible Institute. Uh, You can visit lfbi.org and you can learn about who we are. You can learn about our program of study and the classes that we offer. Uh, But we really uh, love and desire uh, to invite you to be a part of what we're doing so you can grow in your faith and you can be a more productive follower of Jesus Christ and a member of your local church. But we love you. We're grateful for all the time that you've spent with us today. And we hope to see you again next week for another episode of The Postscript. God bless. Thanks for listening to The Postscript. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review in order to help other people find our podcast. If you value this show, please help us continue creating content by supporting Living Faith Bible Institute at lfbi.org support.